Hi everyone, this is Simon Snowder. Welcome to my podcast series. I am going to invite thought leaders where we can all benefit from their knowledge. This is in addition of the masterclass series and the content that I share on my website and social media channels. Powered by Radical Thinking. Welcome everyone to the 10th podcast. My name is Simon Snowder. I'm so glad to introduce you today to Dr. Abdullah Mansouri, my guest. Dr. Abdullah Mansouri, Regional Chief Financial Officer at RSA. Welcome. Simon, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and to see you, meet you. Hope you're fine. I am fine, Abdullah. Again, thank you so much. I know you're very busy that you're making time free out of your schedule to come here and do this podcast with me together. It's great to be here. So I want to know everything about you, Abdullah. Uh, what is your life story? Where were you born? Who are your parents? Where, did you, where were you brought up? How did you end up in Dubai? I want to know it all. Yeah, sure. Uh, let me give you a brief summary. Um, so bit of a strange animal because my name suggests that I have Arabic origin. But in fact, I was born in Germany and have uh, Afghan ancestry. So my parents are from Afghanistan. And the year I was born, they moved to Germany. That's my home country, so to speak. And you may hear from my uh, accent. It's uh, not something that I can Just avoid. a little bit. A little bit, right? Not too much. <laughs> not too much. <laughs> so Germany is... Uh, the place that I have spent most of my life uh, in. And um, I, I had, uh, during my studies, also some time I spent in the United States. And work life then was different. I worked in Germany, but uh, moved to the Middle East in 2008 uh, with my family. And uh, first we lived in Bahrain, spent a couple of years over there, and then uh, moved to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, also spent a few years there, and since end of 2014, I guess, yes. We've been in Dubai here, and very happy here to be in the Emirate of Dubai and the wonderful country of UAE uh, till today, and who knows how the uh, future holds and what comes next, but we are very happy to be here uh, personally and professionally. It's, it's great. Okay, so let's, let's go a little bit back. Till what age did you stay in Germany? So that was until the age of uh, 37, yeah, if I count this. Um, so in 2008, uh, so you can now figure out and do the math. I'm 51 years already. Although I look Time like is right. flying. <laughs> you don't look like that. You look like 30. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to hear. Indeed. <laughs> so mid-30s, yeah, I've come to the Middle East. Uh, and uh, first uh, in Bahrain, as I said, in um, a num number of functions for uh, my then company, uh, Allianz. And... Um, it was a great time, uh, so professionally very interesting and also outside of professional aspects, a great experience. I can recommend everyone who would ask me to spend some time abroad, no matter where you are, simply because you get to know uh, another culture or cultures, other people, and that's, I think, a great experience for everyone. Yeah, me. and you studied in the U.S., which state? In Massachusetts, in a city that's called Worcester, like the sauce, yeah. It's a, a city that uh, has, you know, it's quite interesting to remember uh, because it was focused on traditional and heavy industries, so yeah. textiles, steel, etc. So it had a high crime rate because the glorious times of those industries had been long over. 
high crime rate and uh, so a lot of yeah, small or not so small adventures that you had there, more or less. But it was a great, great time uh, for me uh, to be there. Studying abroad um, is a great experience. Equally, um, again, for similar reasons, you get to know other mentalities, uh, people from uh, various countries and places. Um, and the United States is still has a, a place in my heart, uh, although it has changed, of course, over the time. That was in the 90s when I lived there for almost two years. But um, it was a great, great time. Did you travel around in the U.S.? I did a bit, but uh, it's a big country, and I have not seen all the places. I was on the East Coast and the West Coast. Uh, but uh, from the Central region, I've seen only a few places. Uh, so hopefully uh, sometime in the next years, I'll be having the opportunity to see also a number of cities and states that I have not seen yet. It's a beautiful country that offers everything. Yeah, true, true. So... That, that was your early years, and then you went back to Germany. Yes. Uh, I believe you worked for McKinsey. Yes, a long time ago I worked. That was at the start of my uh, professional career. A couple of years, that was based in Germany with some projects outside. I worked for McKinsey for three years. was about the average time you spend there as a consultant. And interesting enough, I worked in a couple of industries, but not at the industry that I joined later on, uh, insurance industry. So I was in energy, I was in consumer goods, uh, IT, a few others, um, but not insurance or finance related, so to speak. That's what happened then afterwards. So, so how did you get introduced to insurance? Because you were trying, you were working in different industries. What made you start your first role in insurance and why did you stay in insurance? That was accidental, and that's what you hear from many people who are in insurance business. When you talk to them and you ask them, how did you uh, end up with insurance? Why did you choose the insurance industry? And many people, at least in my knowledge, uh, at least as far as I know, often tell me um, accidental, and it was the same for me. So after I uh, worked as a consultant, I took a break to work on my PhD, and um, after that I uh, looked out for an option and... Um, insurance industry was something that was yeah uh, available not only available it was something that was attractive to me and i joined allianz the german-based insurance uh, company based in munich i said let's try let's give it a shot yeah and it was a very good discussion and at that time i uh, joined the company and there's something that is quite specific in germany it's not so um, often in other countries so you join as a so-called uh, executive assistant yeah when you have professional experience you work directly uh, to and for a board member mm -hmm. um, of the company and you are involved in various projects and that was what I did for two years it was a great opportunity to get into various aspects of insurance that is uh, retail insurance as well as industrial insurance etc and in various projects uh, and so I started there and after that I did something which is uh, I think one of the best professional experiences I've made I went to insurance sales, so I literally went uh, door to door no for way. a few months. Yes, yes, and I uh, sold insurance policies. I tried to sell and I sold, yeah. And I learned how difficult it is, yeah, because um, it's not an easy job, yeah. And it makes clear to you how much you have to respect the efforts in sales. It was a great experience, and after that, I uh, was heading a sales unit for about three years, yeah. Not a few weeks, not a few months, but three years, which is a time that you should do, in my view, to learn what it means when you hire people, when you develop people, when you retain people and, and uh, make them hopefully grow or when it uh, 
doesn't work out well in some cases, then you say, okay, let's do something else. How did you convince the first person to buy from you when you went door to door? Uh, good question. It's, um, I think, something that sometimes takes time. You've got to be natural. You've got to be honest. It starts with really thinking about yourself, okay, the product that you're selling, would you buy it yourself? Uh, and, and that was easy for me. Um, I joined insurance, amongst other reasons, also because I think it may be for many people not a very sexy product, but it's a very good product. Yeah. It protects people from harm, uh, from dangers that we have in everyday life. So I am convinced of that uh, product. And therefore, it was also easy for me to convince people uh, of the product per se and also specifically of the company I worked for because the overall um, value was there, in my view. Yeah? Not only in my view, it was there. So you have to do some convincing, of course, and uh, stay honest, yeah? try to create an atmosphere of, of trust, of course. And uh, it was not a cold call. I was principally representing an agency and worked uh, then on, on their behalf and uh, explained the product. So you've got to play, explain the benefits. Um, you've got to be natural. You need to create a sphere of trust. But you also need to make sure that it fits to what the person, the customer you talk to, actually needs. It's not about just selling a product. On the contrary, you need to first understand uh, at the very first place who is it that I'm talking to, what does the person have, and what does he or she need. And make sure, be fair in the game, yeah, because you want to build up a long-term relationship. So it starts on trust and fairness, and um, if you don't create that, it's going to backfire. Yeah, fully agree on that, and then um, I want to ask you about the board member that you worked with. Did you have a good relationship with that person afterwards? Yeah, I had. I, I was lucky. Uh, one of the reasons at the end was also when I joined to, had the to have had the opportunity to get to know him, and uh, he's very, very well known in the insurance industry, um, and um, a very um, impressive personality. Why? Because he's been there for ages. He knows his business, highly successful, and uh, at the same time, a humble personality. Yeah, very humble, uh, not showing off. Uh, really impressive. Yeah, and the, the relationship that I had uh, during the time I worked for him was, was very uh, good. It was marked with um, him imparting his knowledge to me and also telling me, okay, what are the success factors or the critical factors in this, in this type of business, actually, he had a quite a big area to cover. Several parts of Europe, and Allianz was primarily a strong in international business at that time in Europe, and he covered several parts of the uh, geographic territory of Europe, as well as industrial insurance and reinsurance of uh, Allianz. So it was quite a big area that he covered, and I had the opportunity to join and actively contribute to uh, projects in all of these areas. So this became a mentor? Uh, you could say so, yeah, uh, all, yeah, it is. I mean, considering also the time constraints, it's not always easy to have an uh, establish a mentor relationship, but I un undoubtedly I learned a lot from him. Yeah. I was very thankful for the time I had with him. And, and one of the things that you, you said when you describe his personality, that's yeah. almost identical with your personality. Uh, maybe it is. I, I am being told this, yeah, and, and maybe that's also it would explain why I uh, get along with such types, yeah. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I also, also like other to work with other types, and you do work with other types of persons yeah. in the business and outside the business. But uh, uh, with him, yeah, I definitely uh, was happy that I had the opportunity to work for him. Yeah. So and then you you rode into the insurance industry. You were working for Allianz yeah. in Germany. Yes. 
what made you come to Dubai? What happened? What, what, I mean, Dubai, I mean, the GCC 2008 Bahrain. Yeah. You got, a, you got an internal job offer? Look, Simon, the, the way I did this was um, when you want to go abroad, and that was my, decision, my, my, my intent. I want to go and live abroad, work and live, because I had a very good experience when I uh, lived and studied abroad, and I wanted to have that again. And um, in line also with my, with my partner, with my wife. Yeah? Yeah. So this is something, when you, in my view, when you want to spend and live some time abroad, when you want to live in another country, it has to be a joint decision, and we both wanted to. What I did at the time when I was working in Munich at Allianz is I kept knocking at the doors yeah, of the people that I knew and said, just remember me, I can do this well, my view, and this well, and I want to work abroad, especially in this and this area. So to be clear, um, it's not a specific country, you shouldn't do that, yeah, but you should yeah. be open to a number of uh, regions or cultures, let's put it like this, and you should also be clear about what you think you are, uh, what is compatible for you. Yeah. So there were uh, certain areas of cultures, and Allianz has been a big uh, company and still is uh, active in many, many uh, countries and, and continents, where you say, okay, I, I'd like to spend some time there uh, in, in a broader region or in these type of regions yeah, uh, to collect the experience. Um, you have to make this in alignment with, with, with your partner or the people that are close to you. And uh, I knocked at the door, and at some point it worked out, and I got a call from the then director, Asia Pacific, and uh, he told me, Abdullah, we have something for you. Can you start tomorrow? <laughs> and, well, that's fast. I'd love to, yeah. I, I'm happy to join. Just give me some time, a few uh, weeks, and uh, of course, yeah, you need to make sure that you can um, uh, finish or hand over the present job that you have. At that time, it was uh, back in Munich um, that I worked, and then we were ready for the adventure. I had to first look up where Bahrain is located. Um, because it's, uh, as we know here, uh, not a very big place, but it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah. And then we started in 2008 in Bahrain. So how was, it, how was Bahrain? How was it living in Bahrain? Just lovely. Just lovely. And it's not only my opinion. If you look on, on, on facts, uh, amongst expats in the world, Bahrain always ranks amongst the top countries, and that has various reasons. Uh, the people in Bahrain are very friendly, warm-hearted. They're also... Dealing with foreigners have been doing it for, for ages. Uh, they're very uh, open-minded, receptive, and many uh, things also in daily life, uh, administrative hurdles, they are negligible. So it's easy for uh, foreigners to come into the country and to, to uh, be welcomed there and start a life, yeah? um, a new life or a continue with the life that they have. Um, it's, it's, it's highly recommendable, I have to tell you. Yeah? you you have a mix of various cultures and people coming from all over the world. Um, it's a liberal country. You can do anything you want, yeah, of course, as long as it's in line with, with law. Um, and it gives you opportunities in business and outside of business to do what, what, what you have in mind yeah, with new ideas. It's, it's very receptive and um, progressive, I have to say. Yeah. So uh, I had a wonderful time. I still love the country. Yes, you can say I love it because it's a small country, but with uh, very nice people, um, open-minded people that welcome foreigners, no matter where they come from, and still is and will remain so. Yeah, and you worked there for for Allianz, and then yeah. you, you moved to Saudi. How yeah. was how was it? Saudi was very different. 
at the same time, I say also a fantastic experience, yeah, mm -hmm. because it's so different from what I had before, um, and also my family had experienced before. Uh, but it's something that uh, I would also say, do it. You need to be clear that there are certain things you need to uh, account for. Saudi at that time was already in a phase of liberalizing the country, opening up, mm -hmm. um, but still for the, let's say, traditional eye of a traditional Westerner, uh, for example, yeah, it is different from uh, what you are used to, probably. But being there, witnessing what is happening there, and also witnessing the change that was visible, tangible, literally, in the air, is a great, great experience. And um, stayed there for three years. It's, I think, a very good time to get an idea of how things work there. And, and you see uh, the boost in the country now with the new leadership. Uh, it has a, I believe, uh, it has a great future ahead of itself. And then in 2014, you came to Dubai? Yes, yes. It was still within the group of Allianz, but it was yeah. a different company insurance-related, but with a focus on service uh, management. Uh, it's called Nextcare. Um, and uh, I joined in the end of uh, 2014, and I was working there for, I think, seven years, six or seven years. So it was a long time. Excellent company. I, I felt very good to be a part of that team, um, a strong management team and um, an excellent market player. And... Uh, being based in Dubai doesn't mean it's only restricted to Dubai or the Emirates. It was a regional position yeah, with business in several countries in the Middle East and North Africa, yeah, up to Morocco, yeah, at the very western part. So I, I spent there uh, so several years as part of Allianz Group and um, or that branch of Allianz, which is called Allianz Partners at the time, um, which covers principally the global type of business and service businesses of Allianz Group. So I was there for many years, and um, uh, end of the year 2020, time is passing by so quickly, Simon, end of that year, I joined another insurance company, so I stay in the business, actually the same location, almost the same street, Sheikh Zayed Road, just go northwards in direction to Sharjah, um, RSA, British-based insurance company, and um, yeah, been part of this entity, this organization. Yeah, so... So that's interesting because you have been now in different types of in insurances. Yeah. So you started alliances. I think they're, they're big in, in all types of insurances. Yes, yes. Um, you were focused more in, at all types or in certain type of insurances like life insurance, yeah. medical? Um, it depended on the, the time when I was in which, which uh, country and company. So in Germany, in Europe in general, life has a equally important role um, for insurance. So principally, you have a separation or distinction between life and non-life. Yeah, that's what you say. And yeah. uh, in Europe or in US and the Western Hemisphere, uh, both are contributing for the bulk of the premiums relatively equally. In the Middle East, it's a bit different. Life insurance is traditionally not something that is very well known. Insurance in general has a, um, a weaker stand, so insurance awareness is not so high, like in many other countries. And within insurance, the focus is rather on non-life, yeah, like buildings, it's called property, um, and, and other elements. Motor insurance, of course, and of course health insurance yeah, is the biggest uh, segment here in the Middle East. But life is a comparatively small, very small role here, 
uh, for various reasons, uh, partially cultural reasons, but also partially because governments have traditionally taken a strong stance in providing benefits for their people and populations, and the need to um, take care of certain personal risk on your own was not so so big. But this is changing, and in the future, I believe that life insurance will have a stronger foothold yeah, also in this region. It will take some time, but it's going to happen. In interesting. And when it, when it comes to the experience between Germany and Europe, the, working in the insurance industry there and in the GCC, what, what type of differences and, and challenges you see in both places? Yeah, in every place you have uh, your opportunities and you have your challenges. And, yeah. uh, interesting question. So in, in Europe you have a much higher awareness. Uh, people know about insurance and mostly also know that they need to have some type of insurances. They believe they need it, yes, because it protects you from any harms. On the other hand, you also have a higher saturation because you have many players competing for it uh, and people can choose and, and often people already have insurances, so do they need another one, right? So it's a different uh, ball game than what you have here in the Middle East where you have a very low penetration. We use in our business the word penetration to signify quantitatively uh, the importance of insurance measured by premiums, as we call it, premiums, um, in, in relation to the gross uh, domestic product of a country. Yeah. And in the Middle East, it's much, much lower than what you have in the big insurance markets in the world. It's much lower. So people, it reflects that people have a not so much of that awareness or do not see the need to that extent like in the other countries. What does it mean? It means there's a lot of potential for future growth, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. On the other hand, things have to also grow and you have to convince people and make yeah. it clear to people why would they need it? Why is it good for them or why is it not good for them? And what do they need and what do they uh, not need yeah, to, to, uh, to identify this and also explain it? Because the, the product per se has one disadvantage. It's not something tangible like this sheet of paper I have in my hand or like a car or a candy or anything else. So you have to explain people what it actually is behind it. And one other factor is when we talk about harm, you could also say protection is a good thing, but often it's associated with negative images. Yeah? Uh, so you have to overcome a certain mm -hmm. obstacle because sometimes some people don't want to really think of potential dangers or threats in everyday life, which yeah. is understandable. And I think some coaches are just different as well, like you explained. Like here, you need to sometimes convince people yes. that insurances are good for them. Yeah. Um, some countries and cultures, people are like, what's the first thing you do when you get a job? I got an insurance. Because it's culturally Entrenched. embedded. Yeah, yeah, embedded, yes. yes. Um, in Netherlands, uh, where I'm from, I think we are the number one or number two in the highest spenders on insurance in the world. Yeah. 5,000 euro. I saw the last update. I don't know yeah. if it's more now. Um, per year, per household. Funny enough, Germany, two and a half thousand euro. I didn't know that. that yeah. It's amazing. It's twice as much. Twice oh, as much. Wow, okay. That only means one thing. They're more scared. They easily convince <laughs> to buy insurance. Possibly. You don't yes. you, you don't have to convince them. Just say, I have an insurance. <laughs> they buy it. So they, they, so, so they like insurance yeah. for everything. There's also an insurance which everybody takes, which is ridiculous, which is called Ansprachlichkeitsversicherung. Yeah. And maybe, and which means that if... I go and visit my neighbor and I spill red wine on their carpet. Yeah. They, they might make me pay for the carpet, 
Yeah. Um, and that's why I have an insurance that liability, will pay for right? Personal liability, right? Yeah, yes, personal yeah. liability. But this is considered to be something that everyone should have. Yeah. However, it's not common here at all. Yeah. So in Europe, it's something. Uh, yeah, for big, for I, I believe that for big claims, you should have it. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. my my response is for 100 or 200 euro. I'm like, I gladly pay it yeah. and say goodbye to that friend or neighbor that wants me to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, here, take take my money, but I'm gone. You know, exactly. A accidents happen. Exactly. Yes. If you want, yes. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, for 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 big liabilities that you can be held accountable yeah. for, um, making people in like um, yeah. like like handicap. Um, permanent disabled, um, which are in the millions. Yeah, they absolutely you should be able to to not pay those expenses out of yeah. your own pocket. Right, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. So, so you you came in the industry, um, and now you are in for a while. You are in finance. You you grew your way up to the top uh, to CFO. In a, in a company that you worked now, RSA, and before also in Nextcare. But how did you start it in finance? Because you saw, you said that you, you came in the industry, you worked first in a special position together with the board member, yeah. then you went into sales. How did you end up in finance? Good question. Look, uh, academically, I had uh, some one of the two focus points I had, yeah. So when I studied at university, I had two points, marketing sales and the other one was finance yeah and also my phd was on finance so it was not completely new territory for me okay finance was also something that i'm interested in because i believe that many business decisions should be properly evaluated and assessed from a financial viewpoint on the potential risks and outcomes quantified i believe that most of the things can be and should be quantified not only but it should be um, certainly seen as one criterion to assess or to facilitate decision making and Finance is one of the one of the core functions also to to help in this regard. Now, if you ask me what the CFO does or what we do in finance, there are various aspects. Yeah. But, but one of the aspects is indeed to help in the decision making process of the business as a, as a partner of the of the CEO, who is the ultimate uh, stakeholder and, and at the helm of the company. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So so what made you have your first position in in finance in the insurance industry? It was an opportunity. Uh, it was an opportunity when I was in Bahrain, when I was uh, okay. uh, uh, becoming uh, the CFO of uh, the um, entity. So, sorry. Was that your first job? That, that in finance, in, in uh, insurance? The, the first, it was not my first job in, uh, in insurance, but it was my first finance-related one, yeah. That uh, uh, was at a holding level, yeah. a small holding, to, uh, to uh, be there. And then I moved uh, later on not immediately, but later on to a finance position in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, straight away C CFO. Yeah, it was, don't forget, um, a comparatively uh, small entity. Yeah, in yeah. Bahrain first, yeah. So it was a type of uh, uh, rather supervisory um, steering, if you want to put it like this. Yeah, And, and then it, I grew into the role more and more. And in Saudi, it was a bigger role. Yeah, and then uh, when I was in Dubai, a comparable role. Yeah, so it, it was growing over time. Yeah, yeah. the responsibilities became more. Yes, uh, responsibilities uh, measured in various uh, parameters. Yeah, uh, turnover, you could say, uh, regional responsibility, but also the functions because 
the classical finance function does not really exist like this. Yeah? You can cover in lo a lot of other areas as well. Yeah? So partially you also have risk-related aspects. Sometimes you have compliance, obviously yeah. a bit uh, um, segregated, but it happens uh, occasionally. And uh, therefore you cover uh, various other aspects. Yeah? And, uh, so it wasn't my, in my case the same. So in, in insurance, uh, I believe it's very important to make a, a risk assessment on what are you potentially going to pay? Yeah. What do you charge for yeah. the premium? Yeah. And how do you make sure that that is in balance? So how do you support the business in providing vi uh, reliable information that they can make good decisions? Uh, you, you need to distinguish between uh, something that is rather technical and what we call usually done in underwriting where they price risks and they say this is what we're going to do in order to uh, have a so-called price adequacy to make sure that, they prop that we properly account for risks that we can possibly incur when signing a contract, a policy with a policyholder, yeah? the customer who can be an individual person or a company or anything else. Right. So what we help is, uh, look... Uh, there are various parameters. Um, in, in, in a nutshell, is um, one element is to plan what we expect as revenues. We call them premiums in our business. Yeah, from which channels, from which countries, from which products it comes from, um, and uh, to see what do we have now, how much can we grow. This is a kind of a dialogue that you have with other parts of the company, and finance helps here in filtering that information, organizing it, and uh, in a reiterative process to structure it. Because this is one uh, element out of the overall value chain. You have uh, premiums or premium expectations, right? And then you have uh, expense positions. And the biggest expense factor is, is, is claims, yeah, what you're paying out. And here you have the projections from various parts of the company, underwriting, yeah. actuarial, etc., for claims that you have to pay right away or for future claims. You take them as one of your expense positions. Uh, and then you have two other, I just simplified a bit, mm -hmm. two other uh, major expense positions that are not as big as the claims, but they are still significant. One is your internal costs that you have for rent and for your administration, all the stuff that you have or for yeah. third parties. And the other part is um, uh, acquisition costs that you pay for uh, intermediaries, for example, or other market partners. This is quite common in the insurance industry. Uh, you have to, uh, to pay them, and they differ depending on the business segment, but they also represent often enough a two-digit percentage some percentage of the premiums. So you get this together as part of a plan, and, and finance can help, should help to facilitate this, but also to identify areas of higher profitability and areas of lower profitability, yeah. of course, which is often enough not uh, well done in, in, in organizations. It's about... Uh, understanding it, identifying it, understanding it, uh, just, uh, first identifying, then understanding, but also then steering it. Yeah? Uh, often enough you notice that p companies, not only insurance, are making the bulk of their uh, revenues or profits with few products or few channel partners or in few territories, mm -hmm. uh, etc., or with few customers. Yeah? Um, and uh, you need to uh, balance that as a kind of part of portfolio management. And you need to also make sure that you can contribute to identifying growth areas. And, and uh, this is, again, coming back to numbers. Yeah. Where are the growth areas? You need to see which markets keep growing, which products can grow, which customer segments or which channels have the best opportunities to grow. Yeah. And um, if you look at, uh, at the insurance industry 
than for like for for people that don't work in the insur insurance industry. They they always only look at the price, right? Because initially people say, okay, what will I pay for my insurance? Like you're now in RSA is big in car insurance now, right? Yeah, primarily. Yeah, we primarily are. in this region yes, at least. Yes, yes. Um, so when people compare, they say, well, I want um, the lowest premium. But there's also a cost that you pay for getting the lowest price, which is the, you know, what, what is actually covered, under which conditions. You're right. Do you think that the consumers, that the, 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 the people that buy the policies are fully aware of all these term and conditions? No, they're not. Uh, a survey indicated that I, to take an example, uh, read uh, a year ago, one and a half years ago, one of the major insurance companies in the region had made with their customers or with also with the other potential customers that I think some 60% of customers, of people, are not aware of the terms and conditions. They don't understand the policy in detail. How should they also? It's quite uh, difficult written. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's comprehensive and it's, it's complicated. And of course, this is uh, a bit of an obstacle. Yeah, People then try and trend to tend to, to simplify and I can't blame them. Everyone would do that. And then price is a visible indicator or a criterion that people use as an, as an orientation point. And um, uh, it, it happens to be uh, one major factor in the decision-making process. But again, like in other industries, there are always different customer segments. Uh, some of them go for price only and want to have the lowest. Uh, and others uh, don't think so and see price as one out of several parameters. The question is, uh, of course, for these other segments, um, how is the service in case you have a claim? Or uh, what is actually covered? Uh, how how uh, much is actually covered and uh, how much do I get in case something happens? Um, this is just to give uh, you a few examples. And I, I do think that sometimes people are not aware uh, because they prefer to take a decision based on price. Because if you look at the cost of insurance in relation to a car, it's not that much, mm -hmm. uh, in my view. Often people uh, spend much more on uh, taking certain parts, accessories of the car, rather than taking the insurance policy. And that is also something that we have to work on as an insurance industry and its players to convey this message to the customer and uh, not to blame the customer for taking the decision. How, how can that be done? Because term and conditions can be buried in, in, in many pages. And then you have the... Maturity. Uh, Simon, it's maturity. It's about um, giving the message, what do you actually get yeah, from the insurance? How does it protect you? And does it, how does it fit you? Do you need that? Do you want that? I think it's often, more often than not, it's not properly done. And it's, uh, it's uh, often enough it goes over price without looking at the real customer needs, uh, irrespective of what uh, product you're looking at. But let's start from looking at a customer relation, not only a single product, but what is the customer doing, what is his or her needs, um, and which product... Yeah, I will give you should. a very bad example in where it went wrong. Um, one of my clients, he has an oncology center. So while I was meeting him, he pulled me into a meeting. And there was this lady 
that was um, there and she uh, she was visiting from uh, Oman and she was an expat yeah British lady and she said I have travel insurance I'm diagnosed with cancer now my uh, medical insurance is uh, I reached the limit of the medical insurance I believe I have I will not name the insurance company uh, a travel insurance from this company and I believe I should be, be protected for this emergency. So we approached that insurance company, we filed the claim, I helped her even, although I had nothing to do with it. And they just said, no, 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 these are the term and conditions, it's pre-existing, etc. even if, if you found it out here, no way we're going to pay. No, not, not a single um, chance in the world. And, and this lady was just shocked because she thought she was insured. Yeah. So how can the industry help actively to um, make aware what type of insurance people have and what, the term, what, what are the, the best ways that they can easily understand it? Because it's, a, it's not, like you said, it's not a sexy industry. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not that it's appealing. Education, Simon. It's about education, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, having properly trained people in the, involved in the process of selling an insurance. Again, yeah. it's about what does the customer actually need now or may need. Yeah. What, what you now given as an example is a, is, a, is a sad example, it's a tragic example, but it's, it's real. It happens. Yeah. It's not only a single case. And again, it's about what can happen to someone who feels healthy and then all of a sudden uh, the world collapses, right? Yeah. And, and this is where... Um, an essential insurance can, can help. And this is part of the sales process. Uh, most people um, cannot have the capacity or the, the oversight uh, of all the details in, in an insurance policy. It's, it's too much. It's too complicated. It's, of it's a too complicated. And yeah. there's also the terminology. Yeah. yeah. But if, if, you, if I got it right from what you were saying or mentioning, uh, it was mentioned as a so-called pre-existing condition which is usually uh, mandatory to, to state before concluding the policy. Now, this is not something that necessarily the, the person that you know uh, has to be blamed for, but it was something that was not mentioned in the sales process. Yeah. No, it was but was, it was not pre-existing because obviously you don't hide that you have cancer, just that the stage that she was in, in that particular case, was that they, yeah. they said, you can sue us for us, yeah. we don't care. Our point of view yeah. is that um, you know, this was happened before you took the policy, so we will not cover it. Yeah. But but the point was this: even if they are right or wrong, I looked very closely at what they covered. They, there was not a, there was a maybe a one percent chance that this lady would would get covered anyway, yeah. even if it was not pre-existing. It was just not there in the policy that something yeah. will cover her for medical. Uh, yeah, again, support. part of the selling process, yeah? yeah. Um, the product sounds like it was bad, mm-hmm. and you have that. And that actually states, uh, contrary to what many people say, uh, all the TNC terms and conditions are identical or nearby identical. You just give an example of the, uh, when it's not the case. So it's not covered in the policy, that's what you're saying, and then it's yeah. uh, difficult to argue against it. Yeah. So it's a poor product. The other thing is there are often gray areas, Simon, yeah? Then what happens is uh, look at the reputation of companies who mm. settle claims. Uh, 
um, health is a, is a drastic example, but a real example that, that really matters, especially when it is about life-threatening diseases. And um, you, uh, you can see uh, studies or analysis of which insurance company is more inclined uh, to to, uh, to to settle that, yeah, based on the conditions defined. So yeah. um, that also helps because you have sometimes I cannot rule it out uh, companies that have the policy um, in claims. Let's reject as much as ca as we can, yeah, and then they go. That's also the limits, one way yeah? to 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 not pay out. Yeah. yeah, but 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 to be very clear, um, there's a so-called a term which we call in the insurance industry conduct risk, yeah, and the, no. the reputable players abide by this. If we have a low um, amount of claims, yeah, we're not acting as an insurer, yeah. we will incur a reputational issue. So, so that's, that's very good, actually, and, and insurance is as good as the party behind it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I, I look at these uh, statistics, if they are available, payout yeah. ratio for claims in my industry, it's for life insurance and critical illness yes. and yeah. things like this. And then I justify it with the pricing in it, if, yeah. it's, if it's in balance. Yeah. Um, I, I, I believe that there should be more of that done here in, in, in this region where for, for every industry um, where, and also that the, the ratings, like some insurance companies are rated triple A or double A and here they are a branch of a, of a, of a, of a, of a big name but, but they stand alone in the end. So you know, why, why don't they get uh, a rating for, for their business set up here, how, how strong it is here. Um, do you think in that area there, there will be movement in the future? In terms of financial stability, is that what you're? No, asking? I mean, I mean that they will move more towards, for example, more regulation, more, more transparency, like yes, in Europe yes, or Hong Kong, definitely, definitely, Singapore, definitely, definitely, hundred percent. It's already happening, yeah, and it's, a, it's still a way to go. But the regulators in this region do a good job, um, and um, if you ask about the trends in the industry, one of the elements will be more and more, and it's already happening regulatory intervention and influence. Mm -hmm. It starts with reporting requirements. It also tells, it uh, goes on with, with, with the rules and guidelines that regulators set. And yes, it will lead to um, higher uh, transparency um, and, um, and, and clarity as well. Um, and that's, that's good actually for the industry because um, like every industry, you have a number of good players, you have some average players and you have some not so good players. Yeah, And, uh, and uh, I think with that, trend that we have, it continues to improve significantly. Um, I, I can tell you, yeah, in, in, in my business that I work with, there are companies that are um, not having a great position, and I'm not talking only about their financial position, also in other terms. So yeah. um, uh, with what the regulator is currently doing and also uh, targeting to do, this will ameliorate and significantly improve. But it takes some time. It's a year-long process. But um, it will uh, have uh, significant impacts. It will lead to consolidation in the industry. It will also lead to higher fixed costs. Uh, so you cannot continue to be a niche player in this uh, market. Yeah, and uh, maybe this is uh, wrong, but my, my, my observation in this market is that there's a lot of insurance companies, and it's not such a big market in terms of population, but there's a lot of choice. There's a lot of players in the market, you have players from the East, players from the Middle East, local, Europe, even Americans. 
Do you do you think that maybe in the future it will help that there will be less players in the market? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, consolidation goes in that direction, yeah. and uh, some regulators also explicitly uh, target that. If uh, you, as you rightfully say, look at the size of the population in each of these countries here uh, surrounding us and the number of insurance companies and also intermediaries, insurance-related players, it's by far too high. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, it's going, to, it's going to happen. It is happening and it will happen uh, more even. And uh, one element is also um, what I mentioned is the regulatory requirements will put a burden on the fixed cost structure of many of these enterprises. And then you can't continue to be uh, small. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the better ones will most likely survive. The, ben, the ones yeah. with, with, that are strong financially have a good reputation. Yeah. A uh, funny, funny story that might, might happen with insurance then as well was I was one time meeting this Greek gentleman, 2015. Okay. He said, I was there during the Greek crisis, and he said, you know, we had more than 90 banks um, in Greece and today we have three, and they are even merging one, uh, one of those yeah. three to two. Then we have two left. He said, when I look at Dubai, and this was 2015, yeah. I see Greece. There's so many banks, that, and, and since then there's a lot of banks that have merged, and, and, and a lot of international players have exited. Um, so the market has become smaller in terms of the amount of players. Maybe... In the insurance industry, you will see also a similar trend acceleration. It, it, it should happen in terms of yeah. market size. Yeah. But when does it happen? That's maybe up to the market. You, 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 know, you know how it is with prognosis, yeah? It's yeah. always difficult, in particular when it's about future. <laughs> it is difficult yeah. to say uh, when things are exactly happening. But the outlook is, is, is very clear. That analogy uh, in terms of what happens in the banking industry fits quite well will also happen um, uh, in the insurance industry. Now, whether it's going to be more or less, difficult to say, and also the time frame, but it's going to be uh, in the foreseeable future um, and invisibly happening. That's for sure, because um, there are various factors. The regulators uh, support this uh, with the various requirements, and not everyone can, can cope with that and can catch up with this. There's also market trends. Um, to give an example, uh, motor premiums have fallen dramatically over the last years, squeezing the margins of the players, and mm -hmm. um, other sectors are not that profitable overall uh, either. So when you look at the re most recent uh, insurance results in the industry as a whole, um, it's not that bad overall, but when you look then one step further, you see that a good deal comes from the investment income. So it is not really insurance-related uh, profit that drives it and that has partially offset um, what has been lost on the insurance related result. So in other words some insurance companies invest the money that they get from premiums uh, make some money from equity or some other financial transactions uh, while they make much less uh, money or uh, incur losses in their actually in their regular insurance business. So, But this is not actually what's supposed to happen right? At the end of the day there should be technical part, the insurance part, profitable enough standalone. Yeah, I mean, that uh, will be dangerous for their lifeline. If, if, if they don't have the, if it's not uh, sustainable, then, then yeah, it's it, just a matter of time until they run out of cash. Yeah, so we have to see how that goes. But uh, again, I, I underscore uh, that, that, that the trend will continue 
uh, will uh, probably um, um, accelerate in terms of uh, consolidation. And this is something that um, most people in the industry also share is, is in terms of outlook. And how are fintech companies in the insurance industry playing a role in this? Uh, I used to work for a company that had a separate division which built uh, comparisons between all type of insurance. Yeah. And their first one was the car insurance. So you click, you say, my car is this, this year's old, click, click, click. And then you see like the options and you can put the benefits that you want there, the type of insurance. And then you get a ranking what the options are, what the best options are. You click, 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 and then you have an insurance. That's, that's in the end what they did. You know, they made it very fast, and within a couple of minutes, you can be having a car insurance. So, how do these players affect the penetration of the market in the first place by increasing the market players, and or I mean the consumers, because they, they can easily uh, approach people. Um, and the second question is, do they help to accelerate the consolidation because they are basically making certain players re less relevant, like brokers? Um, There's a number of sub-questions related to uh, points. Uh, look, first of all, um, what, what is the impact in, in, in the market? Can it help to improve the overall revenue, right, and, and develop a marketplace? I think it depends on place and product. Uh, you have partially high, relatively high penetration ratios in certain product segments. And um, it's always good if it facilitates the decision-making process for the customer. The question is now, is this coming from external players, fintech companies that come from outside, yeah. or is something that uh, established insurance players learn to uh, adopt and also develop themselves proactively enough? We have to see that. It's going to come here as well. The question is when. We, we don't know. But uh, we have enough competition that can, could come from fintech, but also from other ends. Yeah, Google is always name that was mentioned in the horizon as, as a potential player. Um, most recently, um, Tesla is also going into the insurance business, which is no not way. new, which is not new because uh, also others did in the past, but Tesla is going with a different approach. They have a pool, a large pool of data of their own drivers, right? So they want to provide tailor-made products. Mm. Uh, that could be a threat as well, yeah, um, uh, for, for the insurance industry. They start with Tesla clients and who knows... Uh, they could also expand to non-Tesla clients. But um, to what extent they're going to roll it out and also geographically and, and product-wise or customer group-wise is, is not clear yet. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very recent development. Um, at the end of the day, um, I think we need to highlight one thing is what comes from such processes about data management and data analysis that help to provide better products, uh, better fitting to the customer needs which is very good. It also helps the customer. So one of the weaknesses that you have here in the region is this uh, no claim benefits. We don't have that. So someone who's been uh, driving without accidents for 20 years yeah. does not get a better rate than someone yeah. who continues to do it every year. Yeah, that, that's simply um, <laughs> not very fair and not very good either. Um, so you don't have the suitable pricing for the, for the customer in this regard, right? Um, and so everybody's treated that the same way. Yes, yes, uh, to, to some extent, yes. At, at least it's not uh, refined enough, yeah, you, you can say that. Um, the other part is uh, to what extent uh, insurance players in the industry, that means also the intermediaries, 
manage the relationship and uh, with the customer more effectively. So I, I'm trying to say by looking at, again, what is the customer, who is the customer, what is the customer's needs, and then to provide the, the right products. Because to take your example of fintech, it requires the customer or the potential customer to still proactively look into that, use that tool, and then make a solution. But that could be isolated for a single product, and it requires the customer to approach that company uh, or to find the source how to get access to that tool, right? But I still think that um, it's, it's largely underdeveloped to have a, uh, a relationship that is based on defining the customer as a whole and also his or her needs, yeah? And that's not only centered on one insurance. And that also helps the insurance company and the industry to position better uh, them, themselves much better. To give an example, it's a clear correlation between contract density and, and stability of a relationship. So a customer that has one motor policy mm -hmm. is more likely to not renew or less likely to be with you, stay with you, than a customer who has uh, three policies with you. Yeah? Um, uh, th that's a clear empirical exploitation and uh, 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 correlation. And it's important for an insurance company or its intermediaries to keep that uh, ongoing. And why is that? In many insurance policies, Simon, as you know, have very few touch points. Yeah, you have it at the time of concluding the policy, and, and then you don't one year only later, want to be yeah. negative during the claim session. Yes, but how often have you you have claims? Yeah, when you have luck, you don't have it so often. Yeah, when when you have a motor policy like I, 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 I was fortunate enough to not have accidents or accidents that I caused in the last thirty-five years or so. Right. So, but it means you have very few interaction points with the, with the, uh, with the insurance company. It's different in health insurance yeah, where so you often go to, yeah. a, to a doctor. Yeah? So I see. what I'm talking about, I'm talking about managing the relation by providing service and trying to find ways to differentiate yourself. And this is also a way to preempt the market entry of uh, fintechs or other players who come with smart data analysis, which is very, very good, yeah? mm. uh, but, uh, but um, covers one aspect of the customer relationship. So what can be done to a customer like yourself that 35 years has no accident you still will have insurance because... I pay too much. <laughs> yeah. I pay too much because, in principle, I pay an amount that is mixed with the claims experiences of people who uh, have an accident every year. Yeah. I mean, uh, simplified. I mean, in, in back home in the Netherlands, people don't even want to claim uh, small uh, accidents yeah, yeah. because the, then the discount goes, exactly. goes, Same in Germany, goes yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. People are really proud of their track record yeah. and, yeah. And, and think about the, the, the uh, collateral effects, the positive effects. Uh, yeah. People have an incentive to drive carefully to keep their discount. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah I mean, in the end of the day, um, I, I think this, yeah, when you don't know, you cannot assess the risk because you don't know who you're dealing with, that's also risky for an insurer. Yes. Yes, it is. And then, to some extent, you have to price it or try to price it. But it's not uh, as simple. Yeah, uh, One thing is the nice thing that you calculate on the paper. The other part is what the market commands. And uh, yeah. these are two different uh, stories. So what, where do you see the outlook now for, for the coming five to ten years? Because we talked about things that are happening there yeah. now on, yeah. uh, on a pretty, pretty ongoing yeah. basis. Where do you see the insurance market and maybe particular more your market heading towards in, in five or ten years? 
consolidation will be definitely uh, a trend that will continue and that will uh, accelerate. Mm -hmm. So uh, size matters. Yeah, this is, is going to happen. Okay. We will have fewer players in each of the countries and bigger players. We will have more customer-centric actions. Uh, so everyone talks about customer orientation, but uh, there's a greater need than ever before, uh, amongst others, to find a way to differentiate uh, it's yourself. Uh, so the level of price competition is immense at the moment. Mm -hmm. And one way to escape it is to simply uh, find points of differentiation. And it starts with customer orientation, mm -hmm. like in every business. Automation and digitization are keywords, but they uh, will be uh, very important to keep in mind because uh, being successful in the, in, the, in, the, in the business requires to be cost competitive enough. So mm -hmm. you need to automate uh, uh, enough to keep your fixed costs low or to, to lower them. Um, and you need to digitize in order to accelerate to yeah, for cost reasons, but also to accelerate uh, processes internally, but also uh, towards the customer. So this is going to certainly happen to a much bigger scale than, uh, than before, because we as an industry have to catch up. We're still a very conservative industry in each regard, and uh, the way we move forward is quite slow. And you have that in various aspects. Yeah. One part of digitization covers the discussion about tele, tele insurance. Yeah. It's not moving very quick as yet, but it can uh, at some point. And maybe there will be a catch-up effect where you keep uh, moving, uh, shaking the bottle, nothing happens, and all of a sudden, all of it comes out. So uh, you need to be prepared that if you have a first move advantage, you can be, if you're daring enough, you could uh, uh, change the industry, uh, with, with, uh, with, uh, at least in some product segments. And uh, I think what is also important is um, the, the nexus of it is the customer orientation and to see, don't define yourself as someone uh, who tried to sell only over price. You can do that if you define yourself as a cost-effective supplier only, but if you look at differential advantage, uh, try to find here your segment and make sure it's uh, uh, sizable enough. So what does it mean for the industry? I think we will have fewer players who go more into automation, automation digitization, stronger customer orientation uh, than, than before. Uh, we will continue to be more regulated than before. This is another outlook. And I think as a part of success factor, whoever manages better to manage the network uh, effectively mm -hmm. uh, will be amongst the key winners, for sure. And network means the pool of insurance players, intermediaries, customers, and, and, and providers in various aspects in each product. And providers can be workshops, promoter, hospital and medical or others. Great insights from Dr. Abdullah Mansouri. Thank you so much for sharing valuable information with us. It was very educational. It was my pleasure having you here on the podcast. And for the people listening, this was Dr. Abdullah Mansouri, Regional Chief Financial Officer at RSA. Thank you so much again for being here. My pleasure, Simon. Always good to see you. Always good to meet you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.